This is Our People and Mother Earth on KWSO. For those who live in domestic violence situations, the ways in which a person might cope may not make a lot of sense to others. It is common for someone to say, why would that person stay? Or why don't they just leave? Dr. Shiloh Tippett is a licensed clinical psychologist who works at St. Charles Madras. She describes trauma bonding and says it is a concept that a lot of people do not fully understand. Trauma bonding is such a neurochemical thing that takes place that makes it incredibly hard to leave someone you love who is abusing you. Trauma bonding is where we bond with the person who is traumatizing us. That's the way to think of it. But it, it's often in the domestic violence situation because we love that person. You know, that's not exactly how we expect things to go. It's that this person we fall in love with turns to be the worst person in our life. And so what happens is people will feel bonded to that person or feel like in some way they need to protect them or help them through. You hear people who have been abused say things like, well, you know, my partner was just having a really hard time. Or that was a horrible time in their life or you know, if they would cope better, they would treat me better. So we start to make excuses for people we love and then get bonded with them. Even, like I said, neurochemically, where there is a physiological component, think about like a very stressful situation that people who are in abusive relationships, unfortunately, live out a lot, like someone bullying you, threatening you, uh, physically, you know, throwing you around the room, things like that. It's tons of stress hormones are present. We know that when there are stress hormones present, that we are more likely to connect with someone who's there. So what we see is even after people are able to finally get out of their abusive relationship, they remain bonded to the person. It's extremely complicated. And then you just layer on top the typical stuff that comes in a normal breakup, like feeling bad for the kids, the finances are different, social circles change when you split up. And so all of that with trauma bonding can make it really hard for people to leave. So trauma bonding looks like the person feels indebted to their abuser. They feel like they they need to be loyal, like, oh, they helped me through some really hard times. So I'm not about to leave them right now just because they're being more difficult. Gaslighting occurs. So in a toxic relationship, the abuser manages to blame the abused for what's happening. So the person who's being abused start to tell themselves things like, well, if I just, I really shouldn't have spent all that money, or maybe if I would, you know, exercise more, this wouldn't even be a problem. So they start to blame themselves. That's a sign of trauma bonding. Oftentimes the abuser will have their own significant mental health issues and their abused partner feels like they need to cover up their bad behavior, act like everything is okay. So you'll see that a lot, like with the recent high profile case of the missing couple where she, when there was a police video release, she covered up the abuse, it seemed, for the police officers, trying to make it look like it was all her fault. That is extremely common in situations where someone is trauma bonded. Dr. Tippett shares how to recognize signs of domestic violence and how to safely help someone. If you think of someone you know who has been in a bad relationship, 
oftentimes a family member or close friends will say, is everything okay? Like, you don't seem like yourself. You don't seem as happy as usual. Or, you know, whenever he's around or she's around, you seem to shut down. Like, you can ask. So you see things that tell you there's something a little off, especially if you've known the person a while, like family members, you can see it. You will hear things. So a part of every abuse is a heavy need to control where abuser will feel like they need to control finances or parenting decisions or pretty much every aspect of the person's life. And so we can see that play out in our friendships or family members. So they seem unhappy. They're not quite themselves. Their partner's very controlling and the person doesn't quite seem like they used to seem years before, months before they got into that relationship. Abusive people also tend to isolate their victims. And so a family member might start to cancel. Like they, let's say they always came over for holiday dinners or um, they talked on the phone a lot. And pretty soon they start to isolate. And maybe more naive or well-assuming friends will think, well, they're just so consumed with that relationship. They don't even reach out anymore. But you want to look at the other side, too, is that maybe that relationship is extremely controlling and they're not allowed to go out. Or if they do, there'll be repercussions. So just kind of like seeing through what I call the smoke and mirrors, being able to see through what's being presented through a trauma bond, like trying to make everything look okay. And looking at the person and seeing what is it that you're noticing in their behavior. And it's not easy to be that friend. Like this makes it sound like, oh, just look at the person, right? And you'll see. It is not easy at all. What happened? There's a lot of deception in abusive relationships. So behind the scenes, maybe, you know, this person is very connected to their best friend but their spouse is saying bad things about them or doing all they can to drive a wedge. Oftentimes a really passive way that doesn't seem as hurtful or harmful, but over time it it wears down where the person who's being abused will be more isolated. So it's not easy to be a friend or family member when you suspect something's going on because there's a huge layer of denial for the person being abused. And they will oftentimes try to save face and say that things are okay, make it look okay, because that's what they're hoping will work out. So it's not easy to be a friend. You're not being pushy, but being like leaning in and being consistent enough that that person, when they are ready to talk, that you're the person that they will talk to. There's those great resources we have. And I do like to talk about also how important it is that we're careful So we can get really, really mad and protective when we hear someone we love is being mistreated, but we can make things worse by confronting the perpetrator, by being very flippant about it in their presence where they can hear it. Also working really hard to empower the victim in a way that then they, it's premature. Maybe they're not ready to make a move and the abusive person will sense that and start to get more controlling and more abusive. Also, In situations of domestic violence, oftentimes the abusive partner is so controlling that they're monitoring everything the other person does. So they will monitor internet use. 
what will happen sometimes is that a person who's being abused is reaching out for help. They're, you know, contacting the, the, all the, you know, the domestic violence support lines, not knowing that they're being watched, that their internet usage is being watched and it sets them up for potentially more abuse. As prevalent as domestic violence is, it's good to bring that up to people we talk to. Like, oh, don't forget, like if you got that nosy boss, they might be watching your internet use or something where it's just like, keeping it on people's radar who are in those situations that their phone calls, their internet use, their conversations are very likely not private. Dr. Tippett notes that certain factors can contribute to an increase in abuse and can limit the ability of a person to get out of these situations or to seek help. For some people, the pandemic and isolation and all that has been a pretty good thing. But for people who are stuck with their perpetrators, it's become the perfect storm for some really bad things to happen. I do know that, of course, toxic relationships, they know no boundaries, so across all socioeconomic statuses. But all those things that cause us just to be generally very stressed would, of course, contribute to an escalation of behavior. So people who are more affluent or have more options can at least get away, like they can go away for a weekend or they can, you know, buy the things they need to feel better. And people who don't have those resources feel more stuck. They can't access a counselor even in the same way that other people with better resources can. Um, They just can't have their basic needs met in the same way, which creates more vulnerability and susceptibility, not have the same resources that other people too, so they can be more susceptible to this all people can run into this. Part of that's because the risk factors for getting into a toxic relationship, there's many, but they don't have to do with social class as much as they have to do with what happened in our early upbringing, like trauma and abuse, which trauma, it definitely goes across all social classes. It's much more prevalent in more poverty-stricken communities for similar reasons. I learned this trick recently, this little exercise. It's from the book called The Butterfly Killer, How to Identify and Manage a Narcissist. It's a great read. So it talks about this very thing that when we've been in a toxic relationship, it's hard to spot the signs of it because that's what we're used to. And so this idea that the author presented, you could be a friendship, it can be a romantic partner. Basically, if three things happen in a relationship that don't feel good, you probably shouldn't be in that relationship. And what's crazy is we usually put up with 333 before we start to pay attention. So this author is saying three, just three is a trend that this is probably not a good relationship. And also that takes like six to 12 months to really get to know someone well. Also, sometimes when we're used to that chaos, and discomfort in relationships. And when we have a good, healthy relationship, we are bored to death because we are like so used to the bad stuff. And so that's something else the author from that book has said is that sometimes we'll feel really bored in a healthy relationship if we're used to the chaos of a toxic one. We have to do our personal work and make sure our children are seeing us only letting good relationships or leaving the bad relationships and teaching them a good sense of self and we get to know our own sense of self so that we have great boundaries with ourselves and don't let toxic relationships in. So it really does start with us 
And then this is the stuff, how do you keep from getting in them? Is do your personal work. Few of us come out of our childhoods unscathed. And so do the work to see yourself for a great, wonderful, beautiful person and teach your children that so that anytime something toxic comes near, they can identify it. She elaborates on the risk factors that contribute to a person being more likely to get into a toxic relationship. Low self-esteem and feeling like you're not worth things. Louise Hayes, she has talked about the importance of our self-talk and how we talk to ourselves in order to get through hard situations. And she had found that the vast majority of people, regardless of what they look like, so were they managers, were they in leadership, were they homeless, most people have a core belief that they are not worthy of good things in their life. So if we really narrow it down for people, somewhere deep inside we have a level of shame and a certain level of feeling like we are just not worthy of good things. And that has to do with very early blueprinting, like early life experiences before the age of six. We want children to feel loved, to feel worthy, to feel like they're safe, that they matter in this world. And so what is found is that people who get into toxic relationships don't have a good feeling of self-worth. So they don't feel like they deserve anything better. So you can't always see that. So we think we know what someone with low self-esteem looks like, but it's not true. Someone who's very successful and doing well in life can also feel like they're not worthy and have a low view of their self. So that's one of them. A big one's a history of trauma. So early on in our childhood, we developed schemas, mental schemas of things. The classic one is like, what is a chair? Well, a chair can have a back and it can have arms and it can have four legs. But a chair can also not have a back. Therefore, a chair could be a stool. And some stools only have, you know, one pedestal that you sit on. And so we also learn that about relationships. So a relationship should be full of love, mutual respect, no chaos, nothing crazy going on. But children can learn early on that intimate relationships, which start with your parents, can be really bad. They can cause you harm. And there develops the scheme of, well, someone can love me and still be really mean to me. And we can carry that belief on into adulthood and end up in toxic relationships. I think when we're in the throes of our childhood or of parenting children, sometimes we can forget those things we're teaching children. Other risk factors Depletion in life, finances, family stressors, lack of support um, makes us more vulnerable to those situations. History of being mistreated, abused, or bullied, and a lack of sense of self. So our ability to know like, hey, even though I love this person, this is not okay with who I am. It's not okay to be treated like this. Component of toxic relationship is this gradual chipping away and breaking down of boundaries between two people. And so what started as a relationship with great boundaries and a great sense of self for each person slowly becomes an enmeshed, we have no boundaries and therefore anything can happen situation. And so really maintaining our sense of self in a relationship can help it be and stay healthy. 
When children see, hear, or know about abuse by one parent against the other, they may have many feelings, thoughts, and questions. It may not be easy for a parent to talk about what's happened, but it is so important to a child as they try and sort things out. Dr. Tippett discusses how a parent's communication and support can help a child do better in the aftermath of their experiences. They will always personalize, like, did I make them fight? Did I do something wrong? And I like the transparency piece about saying, you know, dad and mom are not getting along right now, but it has nothing to do with you. We love you. You didn't cause this. Like, that's great modeling. It's really hard when kids don't ever get that circling back, you know, okay, so mom and dad are fighting. It's really tense. It's scary. And then they don't know what's going on because no one's talking to them, which can happen when things are really bad. We're all humans and we hopefully do the best we can. I think that we forget our kids are dynamic, changing human beings, and we're trying to help raise them while we're still raising ourselves in a way, becoming our fullest potential as an adult. And so as much as we can keep up on how we can help kids through their relationships socially, we focus a lot on how can we help them get their good grades or get them to school on time. But what about socially? Like social relationships are extremely important to contributing to who your kids are going to marry and, and surround themselves with later in life. So us focusing on the healthy development of that is really important, but I'm not really sure we hear much about that. Dr. Tippett emphasizes that the longer a person stays in an abusive relationship, the more difficult it is to leave. Your emotions are entangled and your families are entwined. It's like it's extremely hard. Once it's gotten too far, it's important to note that there are some people who get out of those relationships very quickly because they have all the components they need to have that great sense of self and what's okay to them. And so that's what we want to instill in other people around us is that ability to go, whoa, this feels awful and gross, and I'm out of here. Dr. Tippett shares some things to be mindful of in new relationships, things that may at first seem flattering or make you feel good, but are red flags indicating a likelihood that a relationship will soon become toxic. Love bombing. Like, wow, I just met this guy or girl two nights ago, and I've already got 55 texts on what an amazing person I I am. Being put on a pedestal and love bombing in a way that is not congruent with the development of the relationship. So we've only been talking for two months, and yet you're in love with me and want to move in together. It can feel like home if someone is really desperate for love and for a sense of belonging. They can overlook that thing in their mind that's saying, this seems too fast, and they can jump right in because they so much want to feel love. A big, huge one is control, which a lot of people, believe it or not, will feel like it's a compliment. Like if their partner's jealous, oh, she's so jealous of me. Yeah, that's because I'm so good looking or whatever. It's actually a sign of control, like someone being controlling. Everyone in a relationship should maintain their sense of self and who they are. They do what they like to do, whether the other person does that or not. And there's mutual respect. So in a more toxic relationship, there's going to be some signs of controlling behavior. It can sound early on like, oh, I know you got to get to work, but man, I'm going to miss you so much. Why don't you call in sick today and hang out with me? So at first that might feel like, oh yeah, that's a great idea. It's actually a sign that that person is probably going to be controlling, 
maybe suffocating at some point in the relationship, but it can feel reinforcing, like, oh, they're really into me. Other signs, stories of crazy exes. So it's one thing to tell a new partner, like, wow, I had a very difficult time and breakup in my last relationship. But if then the previous three also were all the exes' fault and all the chaos was all their fault, that's a red flag. People who are in a relationship that ends, each person should be able to take 50% responsibility of things going wrong. Even if it's something like, wow, I didn't see all the red flags at first. I was blinded to them. But if you are with someone and friends too, so if all the other friends were crazy, but you're the coolest friend, that's a red flag. And then a partner too. Oh, my past five marriages really sucked because I just married the crazy people. That's a red flag. They're not taking responsibility. That is Dr. Shiloh Tippett, a Warm Springs tribal member and a licensed clinical psychologist who works at St. Charles Madras. I'm Liz Smith reporting for Our People and Mother Earth on Warm Springs Community Radio, 91.9 FM, KWSO.